Hello and welcome to the GMI, that's the Guitar Music Institute podcast, episode number 53. My name is Jed Brockie and today I'll be talking to James Akers. Jamie, as he's known to his friends, has been on the show before. I felt it would be a great idea to get him back because he's bringing out an album of beautiful songs played on fingerstyle acoustic guitar, all based around Scotland. And in addition to that, he's also bringing out a book about these very songs, which will help people play from all levels and abilities. So I thought it'd be a great chance to catch up with Jamie and find out what he's been doing. He's got a lot of great stories to tell, a whole lot of great music. So I hope you enjoy the episode that's coming up. Well, Jamie, after an intro like that, uh, the crowds listening on around the world can't see you beaming, but I can see you are. It's great to have you back on the podcast. How are you doing, my old mucker? Thank you very much, Jet. It is a great pleasure to be here. I'm doing very well, actually. Oh, that's, that's good. Now, the last time you were on was back in 2019, and you're part of a small band of people we've had back. But there's a couple of reasons I wanted to have you back. One is because you're such a prolific author and involved with GMI, and it it just seemed right, (laughs) because you've also got a new album out, and I thought it was a great opportunity to really tell people around the world about this album. So, what's the name of the album? So, the album is called I Once Loved Alas. Is that a quote from anywhere, or just from your own personal life? (laughs) Well, combination of the two. Um, it's 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 a traditional Scottish folk song. And it's one that was recommended to me. So the album itself is links to some of the work I've done with GMI because it's the first time I've done an album. Usually I play classical stuff, which is obviously written by other composers. But in this case, uh, it's my own arrangements and my own compositions. So in a way, it's a complete vanity project, churning something like this out. But at the same time, it has given me a great deal of uh, pleasure to just explore you know, different aspects of being a musician and being a guitarist that I don't normally do professionally in this way, which obviously I've done arrangements and published books, but I've never actually done a recording of my own my own music. Well, you, you call it a vanity project, Jamie, but, you know, I'm sure thousands of people around the world are going to love what you are, you're going to release. And with regards to that, why don't you choose and tell us, we're going to play small snippets from the album as, as this interview carries on. So what is the first song that we're going to hear a short passage from? Right, well, I'd like to start at the beginning of the album with a track I just call an, the introduction because this is my own composition and it came about because, actually, and this does relate back to GMI again because I wrote a couple of studies in my GMI graded exam workbook which were in a kind of Celtic guitar style and they turned out quite well and then when I was working on this album I wanted something just a little some prelude almost at the beginning to introduce because the rest of its arrangements of traditional tunes but this introduction is actually my own composition and but I wanted to put a slightly different slant on the kind of Celtic guitar sound world so um, it's actually so I wrote a piece in 5-8 which doesn't occur very often in traditional Scottish music but hopefully it still has the kind of the features of the kind of Celtic guitar sound but it just so happens it's in a wacky time signature. Okay, well, let's just listen to that now. Mm-hmm. 
that sounds amazing. Now, 5-8, that's quite a playful, they always say it's a playful time signature to use. Is that why you decided to write in 5-8, or is it just the idea came to you in 5-8? It's a combination. I mean, I, I, yeah, you're right. It's, it's quite playful. I like this slightly unpredictable feel that it gives because you know i want it because it's still very flowing i think when you hear it you know and it but it's just slightly unusual that you know sense of okay because it's the way i've interpreted the 5e is it's like a a triplet and then a duplet right so you get that kind of rhythm which both rhythms are feature quite um prominently yeah, prominently in in kind of reels and jigs and all the kind of traditional music. But usually you'll get like a whole stream of triplets or a whole stream of eighth notes, you know, quavers. Whereas here, that kind of the combination of the two, I think, just makes it a little bit different. Absolutely. Now, did this this piece that you you've written? How much is that influenced by the pieces you then went on to play by other composers? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in keeping with the you know the melodic ideas and the the harmonic the traditional harmonies of the this kind of traditional celtic guitar sort of school when i say celtic guitar school i'm thinking of you know fairly recent thing you know like tony mcmanus and stephen way these kind of guys who've been exploring that taking what were fiddle tunes or bagpipe tunes and playing them on the guitar you often using kind of alternate tunings and that kind of thing which i didn't do so much myself but so it's taking that as my starting point but then trying to put a little different twists twists on it you know because either rhythmically like in that first piece in the 5-8 or you know extending the harmonic range so you know trying to respect the tradition but also bring elements from outside of it so you know kind of not exactly jazz harmonies in a sort of traditional functional sense but you know the kind of major seventh chords ninth chords sus chords they kind of Sounds that you, you perhaps don't normally associate with this traditional music, but I think give it, you know, give it a new life in a way, because, you know, the tunes are very nice, but the advantage of playing on the guitar is, you know, you can add something harmonically to it. It's great that you're talking about and respecting and, and bringing melody to the fore, Jamie, because it seems to me there's a real movement right now to just soundscapes. We don't do many, uh, or I don't do many, let's be honest, podcasts these days, but I do get a lot of submissions and quite a lot comes through from guitar players. And I have to say that a lot of them, when I listen to the music, there's no real melodic content. content. It's merely a soundscape. Do you have any feelings and thoughts on that vis-a-vis the music that you're bringing out? Yes, I think what I find... Um, it's, it's very ambient. I know what you mean exactly. I hear, because I, I did quite a lot of research, being a classical player, you know, I, I did my research before approaching this project. And so I watched a lot of acoustic guitarists online and listened to a lot of, and a lot of what they're, a lot of what's going on is very ambient. It's very, in a way, it struck me that, um, referencing melody and harmony in the way that a lot of what was going on was, creating resonance rather than creating harmony you know so they're using open tunings and when you've got an open tuning it kind of creates lots of overtones and harmonics so it gives you the illusion of harmony and i think it's the same you know you play a kind of noodle around in a kind of mode and it gives you the illusion of melody but you don't have the actual idea of a structured 
because you know when you think about any any famous tune, it's a structured thing, you know. And in a way, the foundation of musical form is repetition. So if you don't engage with repetition, if you just kind of noodle around over a drone with an open tuning in a mode, you know, it sounds nice enough, but it doesn't have a kind of understanding of form, and it does, it has the illusion of harmony, and it has a kind of, as you say, this kind of non non melody. So melody has to have form, has to have kind of, so that you know it goes from A to B and then repeats, and then you know that very traditional, very standard kind of what structures. But they're that way because they work. Well, certainly on a lot of the material that I hear being recorded these days and it's beautifully recorded within a slice of it it is a rich sonic soundscape but people won't be going down the street whistling these tunes anytime soon and I think that's important so before I turn into a complete crusty old man moaning about this that and the next thing what is the next song that uh, we're going to hear a short extract from and why did you pick this song and is there any specific things you'd like to tell us about the recording or the history of the song or just to enrich it for us? Sure. Um, I'd like to pick the track track three on the album, which is um, an arrangement of a fam- another famous sort of Robert Burns song. Now, the thing to remember about Robert Burns is he wrote the words, but not the tunes. So a lot of songs are referred to as Burns songs. But actually, he took an pre-existent tune and wrote words to it. So right. can't really call him a composer, but he's often credited with this song. So this one is called Caw the Yows, good old Scots title, basically yows or sheep, right? Now, this is a, a beautiful melody, really beautiful, and it was very uh, used quite a lot. I mean, for example, the, the English composer Vaughan Williams actually did an arrangement of this song for choir. So it's one that... You know, it's, oh, it's a very moving tune. Now, my take on it was, I wanted to kind of, there's a reference in one of the verses of the poem to a stream, like the, the, the water flowing in the stream. So I kind of wanted to sustain this very beautiful melody, but underneath have this kind of continuous flowing arpeggiation to kind of represent the stream. And um, so that's kind of what I did. And then, but also, as I was saying to kind of use it as a springboard to explore different sonorities and harmonies that I could achieve um, underpinning. So you, you get the traditional tune, but you hear it in a way that allows the melody to be supported by something that kind of hopefully evokes something of the, the text. Almost a kind of pedal. Um, it's sort of... I mean, it's... I think uh, you call it... Ostinato, kind of, would it be an ostinato? No, even, it's not repetitive. It's kind of a um, perpetuum mobile. It's got this kind of com- continuously moving... And it, I tried to get it so that it, it, it doesn't... Um, it's never exactly the same. You know, there's a repetition or the harmonies stay the same, but the chords are slightly altered. So like a, like in the way that, you know, if you, you sit by a stream, it's never the same water, even though it's always flowing. So I tried to keep it so it's never the same. But Let's have a listen to that now.
That sounded absolutely wonderful, Jamie, and perhaps well done on that. A really lovely, lovely work there. And it might be a, a good time just to tell people a little about your background, because although you now live in England, in London, the, the heart of the, the music business in Europe in many ways, or in all ways, you actually come from Scotland and you come from southern Scotland. You were talking about Robert Burns. Do you think that has had any impact on how you view music and the guitar stringed instruments? As an exile, I think, like exiles usually are, I think I'm more become more aware and attached to Scotland and where I grew up and the musical life of Scotland since being away. You know, I think when I was there and growing up, it wasn't like anywhere. I mean, folk music's not a, a something you hear unless you go out your way to hear it. You know, so when I was a kid growing up, you know, it was the music that you heard was kind of Guns N' Roses and I think that's the first kind of music I engaged with, with kind of the rock music of the time. But then, you know, going back from, or, you know, looking looking back from now, um, I think that I, I was exposed to kind of folk tunes and Robert Burns things at school and although it wasn't something that I engaged with then, I'm glad now to have had that foundation. It's really funny you talking about the music of a, an area. I remember walking through at the head of Loch Gilphead, the, the little village right on the loch, way up there in the highlands, and walking through the village and seeing some American rap. And I was just, this is about 15 years ago, I was just so outraged by it because it just seemed so wrong. As if, you know, everybody up there is going to be playing Celtic Highland Scottish music. It just doesn't work like that. So it's quite funny, isn't it? That, that these music, the music that is associated with specific areas is hardly listened to within those areas. It's just the tourists who want to hear it, you know. You, you go somewhere and it's like, let's hear some traditional, some Scottish music and everyone in Scotland is kind of listening to whatever's on in the charts or on the radio. So maybe we'll take a, a slight detour from a completely selfish publishing p- perspective. We can talk about the fact that the song that we've just heard, you have actually written a book which will be released by GMI later this year. Tell us a little about that. And it's got it's got that song in it, hasn't it? It does, yeah. Well, actually, the whole genesis of this project was, was doing the book. So I've done several books of arrangements for GMI now. And um, as I, which I sort of, got really into during lockdown you know it's, if one is kind of a bit creative and you can't do what you normally do you find some kind of outlet so I found a bit of an outlet in in making doing arrangements and so that's kind of what happened and then so I had the idea to do the Scottish book a book of arrangements of Scottish tunes so that's what's started me down this path really so I was you know and then I thought okay I wanted to do it in a, a kind of consistent kind of Celtic guitar style, which I've heard and listened to, a style of music I've heard and listened to, but um, which I find isn't very well documented. You know, there's a few books here and there, but, you know, it's... it's that, also, I find that surprising, Jamie. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked around. There's a few books of transcriptions and things, but I guess a lot of the players who do this, they play by ear. They're not kind of necessarily read, read music. You know, they're not in a position to notate it themselves, perhaps. So they're relying on transcribers. And, you know, so it's... Um, and I should just point out that your book, you don't have to read music to be able to, to get the most out of it, do you? 
Oh, well, it does have tab. I mean, I've got tab and standard notation. Uh, that's that's very true. Um, I do make it accessible to all as uh, <laughs> best I can. But that was kind of genesis. And then while I was working on the arrangements, so the arrangements in the book are like I've worked on before. There's three versions of each tune. You've got this, you know, the, the basic tune with the chords. Then you've got an intermediate version, which is a, the tune of the bass. And then you've got an advanced version, which is a full-on... This of- is now the GMI system, because I used this in a, a book that I recently brought out about hymns, actually, called Songs of Worship. And and I used that, that system that you introduced to GMI, which uh, I think people really, really link don't they in my experience i mean the, the comments and the reviews have been very positive and the system i sort of came up with it basically through teaching because i was always looking for a, a book at christmas time that had you know the basically this and i could never find it i was always looking for a book that i could use with a broad range of students of different levels and there was something for everyone and this book didn't exist so eventually i got frustrated and i wrote it myself Quite right, and and you've written two Christmas books now, haven't you? I have. Well, you know, there's there's so much uh, Christmas love out there. I mean, absolutely. Just tell us a little bit more about the songs that you've got in this new book that that complements this album, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the album. Sure. So in the book, I went for my my initial plan was to just have the kind of the 12 most beautiful Scottish tunes I could find, you know. So it's really the the greatest hits um, of the traditional Scottish repertoire, which I think is the best place to start, you know. You've got My Love is Like a Red, Red Rose and um, Ye Banks and Braes coming through the rye. All the, you know, the Hogmanay stuff that you used to, used to show on TV every, every December. So it's got those, as I say, in the three different... Um, versions and in different from my other books in the Christmas books I explore a variety of different styles in the advanced versions so there's kind of jazzy arrangements or folky or you know classical arrangements of the different tunes but in this I try to be absolutely consistent stylistically so everything's in a kind of Celtic guitar style um using the kind of you know harmonies that you'd expect to hear and slightly extended as we said and the textures that I kind of bring something to it I think slightly different so it's hopefully familiar yet um, interesting enough for anyone and then obviously simple or challenging enough for any for any you know to to enable you as you advance learn to play the guitar to really challenge yourself with the same but still play the same favourite tunes. Just to get people's appetite whetted about if they're thinking about uh, your book, perhaps you could suggest another track from your album. Cool. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Shall we go for the famous My Love is Like a Red Red Oh Rose? yes, that's one of my favourites. Yeah, that, that's, right. yeah. Let's, uh, let's listen to that now.
Well, Jamie, I think uh, that has to be one of the best renditions that I've heard of that song, albeit without the words. <laughs> but I just think you can't beat uh, an in- instrumental. Uh, your your phrasing and the the way everything is brought through is is wonderful. It, it truly is. Now, I just wanted to touch on another aspect of albums and and that was the artwork can you tell us about the artwork and what you've chosen and if there's anything you'd like to tell us about that choice well yeah now um this album and usually for me i I self-released this one so all my previous albums have been full-on classical guitar things and they're released on kind of classical labels now this one because it's more of a personal project i thought you know, I'll release it off my own back. The downside of that meant was that, of course, I had to do all the I had to do all the presentation myself. So I had to come up with a cover, and I just went back to my own youth, growing my experience growing up. And near where I grew up in the town of Peebles, there's a local local landmark called Needpeth Castle, which is not anything like Edinburgh Castle. It's nothing splendid. It's it's what they call a keep. So it's a very big, sturdy stone building, several stories high, um, very dark, dank and uncomfortable inside. Does it have a dungeon? It does have a dungeon, wow. yeah. You know what I found out about dungeons? found out that they were always usually placed under the kitchens. So if you were a prisoner in the dungeon, you could uh, literally go insane smelling all the lovely grub that was being cooked above you. Ah, <laughs> uh, they, they thought of everything. They had a sense of humour back in the good old days. <laughs> eh? So do, do you know the family that owned that or ran that gas, that establishment? Uh, no, and off the top of my head, um, not, the, not the need paths. Not the need paths. I think the there's a um, mixture of because it dates back to the 13th century. Wow. So it goes back a long way. So there's been a variety. It's passed through a variety of hands over the years. Now, did that was that not assaulted at one point by some English army? Yeah, well, that's the that's the castle's claim to fame is that it sits on one side of a valley. So the River Tweed runs through the middle of the valley. On one side is Needpeth Castle, on the other side is a wood. And at a certain point during the English Civil War, which, of course, strayed into Scotland, because a lot of the Scots were fighting on the wrong side of the English Civil War. As usual. As usual, they were backing uh, King Charles, who was, of course, you know, Scottish himself. And so Oliver Cromwell's armies uh, made it all the way up to Scotland, and they actually set their cannon on the opposite bank of the valley and they sh- they fired a few cannon shots up and the side of the castle facing the River Tweed had still has the scars of these cannonballs that hit it. Now that's interesting because I have played many a gig at Borthwick Castle. Have you ever played there? I haven't, no. Uh, a lot of these castles, I don't know about Needpath Castle, but Borthwick Castle, famous because Mary Queen of Scots ran uh, through the night with her, she didn't run, she, had, she was on horseback, which is all the more yeah. impressive, with her yeah. lover, who I think was Darnley, but don't quote me on that because I'm not a historian, from Edinburgh, and if you... To find this castle is hard enough. They seem to build these castles in hard-to-find places, which kind of is weird when you're thinking about them as castles. You think they would, like, say, we're the castle, don't mess with us. And she went all through the night. But that castle was also bombarded by Cromwell. But the weird thing about it is the castle is more like a keep, as you say, a straight-up. It's right beside a hill. 
Yeah. So he just rolled the cannon to the hill, blasted it a few times, and as you were saying about Needpath, you can still see the marks, and uh, they said, oh, pull up the white flag. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so you've used a picture of Needpath Castle on the uh, artwork. That's basically the cover of the artwork. Because, now, this one is released, obviously, on streaming platforms and digital. I haven't really gone for any hard copies of this, so you won't be able to buy a CD. But I'm not sure that many people buy CDs in this day and age. Isn't it a shame, like, when we think back to our youth, where you would buy an album and the wonderful covers and everything? The artwork's almost superfluous now, isn't it? It is. It's just a wee thumbnail you know, that you have, you know, on, on Spotify or whatever. I know what you mean. I mean, that whole big LP thing and it's all very ornate and you got it home and you had to read the... I think that's what's really missing over streaming is because for the likes of me being a geek and everything, if I'm listening to a track, I want to know who played on it, you know, and then you can't find You that, total right? geek. I know, but it's like, who's, who's playing on this? Or, you know, if there's a... You, you try to work out who to feel jealous about. <laughs> well, you know what I mean. You just want to, you just want the background of it. I want to be able to say, "Oh, I know him," or not, or do you, you know? Do, do you know <laughs> yes. Do you know what I found quite interesting is that there's a lot of horrible things about the internet, but Wikipedia, if we can believe any anything on it, is amazing for finding out who played on what. Yeah, it's true. Actually, there is that. There are resources that you can you can access, but yeah, yeah for sure. So. I want to uh, stray a little away from the album. We're going to hear one last track before we end up, but I wanted to also talk about the fact that we're all back playing, thank goodness, um, even although the world's still, I suppose, in the grip of a pandemic. We're pretending it's not there. You've been dressing up again, haven't you? Oh, yes. Well, in my day job, um, I, I, well, I've, I've worked a lot in the opera business and the theatre business, darling. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I'm back doing um, an opera at Glenbourne, the opera festival, in, and I'm back doing Don Pasquale of Donizetti, and for which there's an on-stage band of which I'm a member. Can you tell us a little about, about all of that? It sounds very... I know nothing about it. I'm not going to pretend I do. I don't. Yeah. About the opera itself? Yes, the about the opera itself. What's the basic yeah. storyline? It's surely not about a misogynistic play again, is it? They usually all are. No, it's it's kind of a it's an opera buffa. That means it's a comic opera. And, um, I say by Donizetti. So Don Pasquale is a rich elderly gentleman who is a bachelor. Then he he has a a doctor who decides that he this rich elderly gentleman needs to be parted from his cash. So he inveigles a young lady that he knows to um, seduce and marry the old guy. Meanwhile, this but, is what I'm talking about, Jamie. <laughs> but the young lady falls in love with the old guy's son, and then so it's it's actually it's it's meant to be a kind of is that a farce? It is very much so. The bad the the sort of the the bad guy is really the doctor who's sort of pulling all the strings. The woman is kind of she actually expresses remorse for what she's doing, but she's kind of egged on by the doctor guy and the poor old guy eventually ends up feeling kind of sorry for him so wait a minute is that a spoiler alert uh, I don't know. You, I mean, you can go and see it if you want, and then yeah, I, I, well, it's a wee bit far away from me. It but all ends. It all ends in a mess. In a mess, yeah. Yeah, but the point is, you have to dress up, darling, don't you? I do. I have to dress up with. I have wig and hair and 
makeup. So it's set in kind of 18th century kind of Georgian costume. So, you know, Blackadder 3, basically. So how long did it, does it take to get all the, all the gear on? <sighs> By half an hour. And what with the powder in the face and all that? Do they, have, do they have one of those sort of bags full of powder? You just... It's not that kind of... It's not the Rolling Stones. It's Glyndebourne Opera. No bags of powder here. <laughs> Indeed. It's, no, so, it's, it's grease paint. You know, you have to smear it all over uh, your face. Do you have to put any lipstick on? Uh, you put a little bit of rouge, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, okay. So um, how many times do you have to do... To, how, how long is the, the play going on for? It's going on until the end of August, so it's two shows a week. So it's it's a good, good run. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Where can people see this if they're in Ingerland? If they're in Ingerland, so it's Glyndebourne Opera Festival, basically. So it's kind of, it's this big stately home just uh, near Brighton. And they've kind of, the Toffs who own it, have built a big theatre in the grounds of their stately home. And then you kind of go, they put on opera they have an opera company they put on these shows through the summer so you go along it's a slightly different setup. you go along it starts early about half past four you see the first act of the opera and then there's an interval of an hour and a half during which you go and have a picnic in the grounds of the stately home so you go there have your picnic get tanked up on champagne I was going to say does it end up where everyone's completely blutered uh, yeah, they seem a lot more lively in the second half, yeah. And then do the second act of the operas, and then then they go home. So it's quite a, it's an, a bit of an event, really, you know, if you go to it. It's not just like going to, a con, going to a gig or something. It's actually a kind of, people kind of dress up and they make a big deal of it. So, you know, do you know the joke, how do you make a jazz musician unhappy? Give him a gig. <laughs> what time do you have to start, uh, when do you have to leave the house, and when do you get back? Aim. <laughs> well, you know, this is the easiest gig I've ever done because I have to play for four minutes, right? Four minutes? I know, it's literally one aria in this whole opera that I have to play in. So I need to leave the house to get there. It's about, it's about, it's just over an hour, but I like to leave two hours just because I'm neurotic. So usually I leave the house about just before five o'clock. So I usually get there about 25 past six. And then play. We don't, I don't need to play until about 10 to eight. When you're back home about half 10. Back home, half 10, between half 10 and 11, yeah. Well, that's not bad. Uh, so without going into close detail, uh, as a musician, do you get paid for the entire uh, three-hour session or something like that? Yeah, you get paid. Now, because... Um, it's an interesting setup because I'm on stage and in costume, you get paid extra for that. That doubling fee. Yeah, like a doubling fee. So even though I'm only playing for four minutes, I actually get paid more than the poor song. I, I thought you only got a doubling fee when you were in Ireland. Mm, well, maybe. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I might be getting confused with something yeah, else. <laughs> I think you're the... Do you know that in America, I heard this from a friend who uh, is very much a, a Hollywood composer, and he said that the producer of Fame got someone to play some notes and, you know, just the, the session was over when they were doing Fame, and he got someone to, to play some, he said, hey, piano player just play some notes and some scales and arpeggios yeah. and then and then another day he said hey harp heart player whatever it was please and then he wrote down that all of these were his original compositions and he put them through and 
what nobody knew was that in Fame there was all this, these little cuts to people playing in a corridor, like the piano player or something, and the guy put them down as his compositions and made a fortune. Right. So there you go. Is it true? I don't know, but that's what I was told. So anyway, back to you. So you're you're getting a doubling fee for dressing up and prancing yeah. around. Exactly, yeah. And what about the music itself, Jamie? Is it difficult? No. It's not well, I, do, I do have to play it from memory. I mean, it's it's just basically kind of just strumming. I mean, not strumming exactly. It's quite a simple part. Um, but, um, you know, it's accompanying a singer, right? So the, it's, it's, I'd say it's a simple part, but you have to be on the ball. The thing you might think the idea is that classical music is all very fixed and rigid and it just happens the same way every time, but not with opera singers, you know, because when you think about it, they're not just singing, they're acting, they're flouncing about the stage. So there's quite a lot of leeway in what they do. So yeah, you really have to be able to react quick. It's not like you kind of just, you know, you repeat it. It's not the same every night, you know. So it's, it's a simple part, but... Uh, technically, but musically, you are accompanying. Said like a true professional, talking up your part there. Excellent. So, Jamie, I find that all thoroughly interesting, and I hope the people out there do as well. I'm sure they will. But let's mm. get back to the topic in hand, and it's the final extract from your album, which is titled... So this is the last track on the album, and it's called. It's a setting of Wild Mountain Time, the famous, uh, very beautiful, famous Scottish folk song. And what key, what time signature is this in? <laughs> uh, four four. It's pretty simple. But now I I I'm a, well. You'll hear it how it goes. I put a slightly different take on this because of the way the tune goes. It's slightly syncopated. So in my arrangement, I'd kind of try to max up the syncopation. And um, it turned, it started sounding a little bit kind of gospel with this kind of syncopated chord change. And then on top of that, now I'm not a big, uh, I don't know about you, Jed, but um, you've seen these guys kind of Andy McKee and, you know, these guys who kind of do all the hitting the guitars. I call it slap and tickle. Slap and tickle, yeah. Now, that style, I find it interesting. Now, a bit like we were saying earlier, I've never been quite convinced by anything I've heard. But I think, I thought it's like, uh, you could kind of take bits of it. So anyway, in this one, I take, I do a little bit of kind of percussive stuff, you know, on the offbeats and kind of do a bit of slapping and tickling, as you say, on the strings, which I've never, you know, it just, just for out of interest, really. I mean, I don't go so far as to do any kind of tapping or anything like that. I just kind of keep a pulse going. I think the thing with the old tapping and using the guitar as a percussive, it always, to my mind, always ends up sounding like somewhere in this, the deep south of the United States and railroad tracks and folks are, you know, shimmering heat and folk hanging about. So anyway, with that being said, let's listen finally to a short extract of Wild Mountain Time.
Well, there we have it. That was a wonderful way to end this chat, I suppose, with me old mucker, Jamie Akers, or James Akers, his stage name. Mm. What is the name of the album again? So the album is called I Once Loved Alas, and it's available on all kind of streaming platforms. As well as being available on streaming platforms, can people actually buy and download it, Jamie? Oh, um, I haven't set that up yet, no. But, so. Okay, so for now, but we should also say that if people enjoy the streaming aspect of it, they should look out. I think this book of yours will probably be out the end of September, and I think it would make a very nice Christmas present. <laughs> so the only thing that remains to say, it's great to hook up with you again, Jamie, and hear all the, the things you're doing. It's tremendously exciting. And uh, all the best with the album and, of course, the various books for GMI, but then... I would say that, wouldn't I? You would. Thank you very much, Jed, for having me, and uh, all the best, everyone. So thanks for listening to episode number 53. I hope to have another episode out within the next month or so. It's been a lot less than has been in previous years, but really just the force of work in terms of recording and bringing out new books and running GMI has taken up so much time that the podcasts are really kind of difficult to to wedge in but I do do them when I can and I I really enjoy doing them and I hope that it's uh, wherever you are in the world you've you've found this episode interesting and you hang in there and look out and subscribe and look out for the next episode when that happens so once again thanks for your time see you on the next one